Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Let's welcome our buddy Kyle Glazer of Baseball America on the Bust and Loose Baseball now and get some thoughts on this deal. So, Kyle, why don't we begin with the two players the Nats are getting back. You did the Cubs top 30, so you're very familiar with Made and hers. Uh, what do you think of the tandem? Yeah, I mean, DJ hers has a really, really deceptive delivery from left side. Uh, it's this big crossfire delivery. Batters just do not see it, and it helps him get a lot of swings and misses even in the zone, despite the fact his fastball is just 90-92. Uh, really good changeup, uh, good breaking ball as well as some late snap. The, the stuff is there to start. Um, the issue is that big crossfire delivery that gets him that deception also affects his control. Um, it's just really below average command and control always has been realistically. He probably ends up in the bullpen as kind of an effectively wild left-handed reliever. Um, think Jake Diekman. That's a very common comparison for him. JP Howell has come up in the past. I mean, these are guys who pitch high leverage innings and are, are good parts of a team. Um, it, it just pretty strictly is going to be bullpen with his control and then Kevin Made was a big-time international signee out of the Dominican Republic, got $1.5 million, really, really gifted defensive shortstop, uh, supernatural over there from his hands to his actions. He's got a rocket for an arm, can throw, make the throw from all over the field. Offensively, he just swings at everything. The, the swing mechanics itself are okay, and he tracks pitches okay. He doesn't strike out a ton but he swings at pitches he can't drive or do anything with. You get a lot of weak contact on the ground. Um, there is some strength in there, but just his swing decisions are so bad. He, the power doesn't show up. It's kind of tough. Um, not a lot of people believe he'll, he will hit enough to be more than a low-end utility man just because you know it's been three years now and he's just this aggressive and it's not getting any better. But he's still young and we'll see if maybe that can change. But But realistically it's the glove you're buying with Mate and you just kind of hope he'll eventually figure out what pitches he can drive. And looking at this deal, we've seen nationals fans all over Twitter, a little bit frustrated thinking that maybe they should have gotten more grants and I are pretty happy with, with the return. Do you think this is a fair trade to trade Candelario for these two prospects? Yeah. I mean, this is right in line with the market price. You know, Candelario is obviously a, a very, very nice player um, who does a lot of good things, but he's a rental. You're not going to get a ton for a rental getting one top 30 prospect who, you know, is in double A and is missing bats and has a big league role. And then another lower level guy who you can dream on some upside. That's, that's a pretty good return for a, a rental who, you know, is not an elite player. I mean, Kendall is a good player. You certainly like what he can do at the plate. He's a really good defender. You guys mentioned his leadership, but no one would mistake him for a, a you know perennial all-star. Um, this is pretty much all you could get for a rental. And I think the Nets did more than fine given that situation. Yeah, I mean, if, if hers ends up being a wipeout relief pitcher from the left side, and even if Made ends up being a multi-position bench bat, you know, for a guy that you spent a one-year, $5 million contract on that nobody else wanted this offseason, like, isn't that the whole point? I would say that's a pretty giant win if if it works out that way. Yeah, exactly. Again, Jamer Kendallar is a good player, but 
I mean, if you get, you know, two guys who end up contributing to your big league team long-term, I mean, this is what rebuilding teams do. These are the types of trades they make. And, and yeah, when I saw this uh, trade go down, at no point did I look at this and say, oh, wow, that's light. That was, it was just kind of like, okay, cool. Let me write it up. Like there was no reaction either way. It was, it was very much in line with what you could expect. And I think you could argue, given sometimes we see rental players go for astonishingly low you know, costs. You, you could even argue maybe they they got a little more than some other teams might have gotten for a one-year rental. And then looking at Made, we'll get into hers more in just a second, but with Made, you know, if they're able to develop him and reach the full potential, what do you think his ceiling is? I know you talked about him maybe being a utility guy, a guy that comes off the bench, but if he were to be able to reach the fullest of his potential, what could he be? Look, the defense is good enough where you can see him being a, a starting shortstop. Now, it would still be a, a bottom of the order, number nine hitting shortstop, but, you know, a, a really good defensive shortstop who, you know, hits enough to survive in a lineup every day, that, that's not a bad player, especially if they're young and cost-controlled. But again, you know, swing decisions and and just being able to pick out, hey, here's a pitch I can drive versus one I, I really shouldn't be swinging at. There are drills you can do to work on it, and it can improve, but it also is one of those things that's generally pretty innate. Um, you know, he'll swing at fastballs at his neck. I mean, it's it's just it, he likes <laughs> to swing at fastballs, and that's been a thing for three years, and it just hasn't really gotten materially better at any point. So it's hard to sit here and say, you know, he's going to go to the Nationals organization, and all of a sudden everything's going to magically become unlocked. Again, he's still young. He's 20 years old. He's in high A. This is not a finished product, but it's it's hard to project that happening given just how his development has progressed over the last three years. Is there any reason to believe he could end up hitting for more power, you know, 15, 18, 19 home runs or something? Because I was reading uh, one breakdown on him, and the idea was, hey, if, if the power shows up with at least the, the glove and that pop, then you can kind of work with the rest, but you've got to see it. And he had nine home runs at Myrtle beach, very hitter friendly before getting elevated. He's always kind of been young for the level. They're super aggressive with him. I think probably you would know this better than I do, Kyle, but my guess is just based on fitting him in where they can, because they're so loaded at the position that they, they kind of have other priorities and he just has to get in where he fits in. But uh, man, the Myrtle beach stretch was really impressive. And this year he's obviously only slugging 355, So maybe it was more ballpark than anything else. Yeah, it's 40 grade power. You're hoping it gets to 10 home runs. Um, again, he, he he doesn't hit the ball overly hard. And, and again, a big part of that is the pitch selection, the swing decisions. Um, I mean, if you give him a fastball over the middle, he'll turn it around. But that's true of, you know, anyone in the big leagues. It's not really a separating attribute there. Um, it's It's really a 40 hitter, 40 power, which comes out to, you know, 220 with with eight to 10 home runs is what you're hoping for. You're really buying the glove here. And then looking at hers, how much of his success is on that delivery? Cause you look at the grades on some of his pitches and they're, you know, average, nothing spectacular. Change up is good. And plus uh, as a pitch, but nothing spectacular. How much of his success is because of that delivery. And then you mentioned it maybe adds a little bit to the struggle with command. Can he work on it a little bit without, taking away some of the the what makes him unique as a pitcher without taking that away and still improve enough to remain as a starter 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of the pitch quality, again, you know, every pitcher, their delivery, their deception plays into how their stuff plays, you know, especially fastballs. I mean, that's that's just kind of who he is. It's 90-92, top 94, but it's always played much, much, much better just because, again, guys don't see it. I mean, we can talk about it all day. There are guys out there who throw 98 to 100 and get crushed because guys pick it up out of the hand early and it's straight and they just leave it over the heart of the plate. There's other guys who throw 90-92 and just get swings and misses because guys can't pick it up or the angle plays or, you know, there's high spin to it. So, I mean, a fastball is more than just its velocity. And, and with him, you know, this is kind of what works for him. And, and the fastball plays and the changeup is a plus pitch as well. And, again, a lot of that's because he sells it with his arm speed and, and plays it well off his fastball. And, and the breaking ball is a good pitch too. Um, I mean, it's got some late snap. It's got some downward action. It's got a little bit of sweep. It, you know, can kind of go between a curveball and a slider sometimes. But, I mean, he's got three good pitches. It, there's plenty of stuff there. It's not a stuff issue at all. Um, you know, it just comes down to, you know, again, the deception in that delivery because he's just so crossfire is what helps his stuff play as well as it does, his fastball in particular. And if you take that away, the fastball probably doesn't play as well. And, you know, yeah, you might have to throw more strikes, but he probably gets hit a little bit harder. Um, he's a good athlete. You know, he, we've seen him make some adjustments. And I'm not going to sit here and say a, a young lefty who's a good athlete is incapable of making adjustments to tweak something and get better. But this is not a guy that you should expect, oh, if we change this one thing, all of a sudden he's going to be an above-average strike thrower. I mean, it's 30-grade control you're hoping gets to 40. And um, realistically, you know, he probably, I, I mean, it's, he, he's almost a slam dunk to end up in the bullpen. And again, if you try and get rid of that crossfire delivery, well, then you lose the deception that makes the fastball, the fastball play well. And I don't think that's what anyone wants to see happen. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America on the two new Nationals prospects. You know, I've never really, over the last several years, been impressed by the Cubs development of pitching uh i wouldn't say that it's going to be much different or better necessarily i guess if you're looking at how the nats have developed pitching but i I just wanted to get an observation from you on that in terms of um you know let's say he was going to the twins or one of these really advanced pitching orgs like maybe there'd be a feeling of him changing scenery maybe there's some extra development now that happens um, but you've been covering the Cubs so closely. What's your thought on player dev in general and then the pitching over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say this, you know, since the Cubs brought in Craig Breslow, um, their pitching development has improved. You look at a guy like Justin Steele, he took some big, big, big jumps under yeah, he's Cubs, been awesome. uh, new, uh, new new pitching coach, pitching apparatus, you know, led by Breslow. Um, we've seen some guys take some steps forward. Um, you know, Cade Horton, their first round pick last year, looks like a steal right now. He's been dynamite on the minor leagues. Again, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Cubs overnight have gone from, you know, probably the worst organization in baseball developing pitching to one of the best, but, but it is getting better. And we have seen a lot of guys take steps forward and improve. And, and that includes Hertz. Um, you know, he has kind of, you know, cleaned up his delivery a little bit over you know over the years um he's been better this year than he was last year so again i mean all these guys there have been steps forward um so i I don't think this is the same old oh 
post pitching development's terrible. If you give him, you know, a different coaching group, he's going to take off. I mean, they, they've done okay. They've done better. And I, I, I guess what I'm getting is I wouldn't expect DJ Hurst to go to the Nationals and all of a sudden you unlock this completely new level where he's throwing three to four miles an hour harder and he's throwing strength above average control. Like I think we, we know who DJ Hurst is and you just kind of have to be like, hey, we, we have a chance to get a really good power, you know, left-handed reliever out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, maybe that 90 to 94 ticks up uh, to 92, 96 out of the pen, one inning stints and you get a really, you know, you get a, a good left-handed reliever. That That's really what you're buying here. I wouldn't try to make any stretches to try and say, oh, all of a sudden he's going to become a, a mid-rotation starter. That That's not really in the cards here. And then looking at the Nationals as a whole, any chance you see anyone else maybe getting traded before the deadline? Maybe if you're listening to the podcast, the deadline's already passed. But is there anyone else you see maybe getting traded before the deadline? And if so, are they going to net more than Candelario? Looking at maybe a guy like a Finnegan, maybe if they decided to move Lane Thomas, would they net more? Or what are you looking at with the Nationals the rest of the way here before the deadline? Yeah, I mean, Thomas would be the guy that, you know, would would – definitely net them more when you take into account, you know, what he's been doing offensively and defensively, that the control involved, uh, he's not a free agent until after the 2025 season. So yeah, I mean, if they decided to move Lane Thomas, that would be the guy that that probably brings back the most. Um, but I think there's also a very, very fair argument that this is a guy you want to keep. I mean, he's pretty much been your best offensive performer outside of Candelario. You know, he's young. He helps you on both sides of the ball. Um, Again, you could trade him, but if I'm a rebuilding team, he's honestly a guy I probably want to keep around and, and build with. Um, and, you know, Finnegan's not going to get anything near what Candelario brought back. Um, I mean, th- this is not a team with a lot of great trade pieces, to be frank. Uh, you know, Candelario, this is this is probably the best you know prospect haul they're going to get for any of their guys, barring a decision to move Thomas. That's interesting on Finnegan. I guess it makes sense because of the volatility of relief pitching, but controllable and a guy maybe that could be used even in, you know non-closing but in high leverage uh, a couple of years left but it makes sense you're, you're talking about a bat who's going to play every day down the stretch for a contender as opposed to a relief pitcher uh, Kyle Glazer Baseball America before we let you go I wanted to take a quick look at the Nats system uh, I don't know how quickly you guys will update your top 30 now or, or what you're anticipating for where these guys slot in but you know, last time we had you on the pod, we were talking about the Nat system. And you and I were joking out in Seattle. He came up to me and said, hey, I heard I kicked over a hornet's nest in D.C. <laughs> um, but you were just referencing fairly how bad the system was a couple years ago. And I was actually tweeting about this tonight, but it was two years ago today that they started their rebuild, essentially, uh, when they traded Scherzer and Turner. And they ended up with a huge sell off of kind of a half dozen trades and brought in, I think, 13 minor leaguers at that point. But now you look at the system post Soto dealing with everything they've done in the draft since, and you've got Wood and and uh, Brady House and and Cade Cavalli and Elijah Green and Robert Hassel and Yarlan Susana, uh, Christian Vaccaro and De La Rosa, Bennett, White, Rutledge, Cole Henry. I mean, it it is. I'm not sitting here acting like they got a lot of blue chippers, uh, but there are guys I really like that I think are dramatically underrated nationally, like Dalen Lyle, who I've watched a lot of in Fredericksburg, who just got moved up to Wilmington um, there's some depth now in this system that hasn't been there with you know players like Trey Lipscomb they drafted in the third round out of Tennessee and um, you know they just moves like this Made and hers I mean they just keep adding to it 
juxtapose where they are now compared to like two plus years ago. It, it really is night and day, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, two plus years ago, it was the absolute worst farm system in baseball with a gap between them and everyone else. But again, it was that way because they graduated a lot of really, really good players, traded some other really good prospects to bring in veterans, and they won a World Series because of it in 2019. And then it just came time to pay the price a little bit afterward. But I think every single Nationals fan in the world will tell you, if I told you you were going to win a World Series in 2019, but the next five years were going to be pretty rough, they would have taken that every day of the week, and they should. So it was just kind of the natural flow of things, and you know, it's been a it's been a rebuilding process. I will say, when you trade away Juan Soto and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and, and pick at the top of the draft, you you should have a much better farm system. If if you don't, um, something went really wrong. But there's no question. I mean, you, you see the talent here. Obviously, adding yeah. Dylan Cruz uh, with the second pick this year is a huge, huge, huge addition. I mean, you can now look at the Nats system, and, and certainly there's 10 good prospects here, and, and you could arguably go down into, you know, all the way to 20 and, you know, feel pretty good about some of the guys on this list when, you know, in reality, two years ago, I mean, I've, once you got to, like, number seven, it was not great. So there's no question that there's more depth. There's more top end talent. It's, it's a night and day difference all the way around. Who's your, uh, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but is there a player in this system that you think either, and maybe you didn't feel this way a year ago, but right now you go, all right, we haven't really adjusted yet, but maybe people are too high on him. And same thing, maybe a guy that you go, this is actually an interesting player that maybe from a ranking standpoint, people are too low on. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I will say, I, I guess, to start um, on, on the side that maybe isn't the most positive, you know, Robert Hassel, his stock has kind of been falling a little bit. Um, you know, people have just kind of been waiting for, for the power and the impact to come, and it just hasn't really. And we've seen him really start to struggle against upper-level pitching, and some of that is just a lack of strength. Um, he's still 21. There's still, you know, some natural hitting ability and, and a nice left-handed swing in there and some athleticism, so you don't want to bail on him. But, um, you know, he has dropped out of the top 100 uh, based on consistent feedback from evaluators around the game. And he, he's just got to get stronger, independent of power. It's just strong enough to, to hit the level of pitching he's seeing at A. It's just not there right now. Wouldn't give up on him, but, but it's fair and accurate to say um, – his potential has dropped in the eyes of, of evaluators around the game. You know, in terms of guys who, um, like you said, the industry maybe is a little light on, I, I will say Dalen Lyle does some good things. Um, you know, he's, 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 he, again, is he going to be a superstar? No one sees that, but, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we look up a few years from now and, and he's getting semi-regular playing time in the major leagues ahead of a lot of other guys who, uh, who who ranked higher. And then looking at the top of the prospects for the Nationals, we talk a lot about James Wood and his potential. We talk, you know, bits and pieces about Brady House, and we bring him up quite a bit about how good he's doing. But what is his potential? Because I think that he can be a phenomenal player for the Nationals going forward as well. What's the ceiling for Brady House? A middle-of-the-order power-hitting third baseman who does real, real, real damage. Um, yeah, he's he's got a really, really, really dangerous bat. 
And I think he's someone that you're right, you know, kind of fell off radars a little bit last year um, with the back injury and COVID. And, and really this year, I mean, he's come out and, and looked great everywhere he's been. I was all in the Futures game and he looked great there. Um, yeah, it, it would not surprise me if we look up a few years from now on James Woods hitting the three hole and Brady House is their cleanup hitter. And the two of them are uh, forming a little bit of a modern day Bash Brothers. Would love that. 310 average, 880 OPS for Brady House this season as he's now in double A with James Wood. Well, Kyle, we appreciate the time as we uh, break this down on the night that Jamer Candelario is on the move. Thanks for joining us on short notice. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to join you anytime.